Hey everyone, welcome to our third live stream that has attached to the recent series at One Church CO called Planet Earth. During the series, we've heard from Dr. Catherine Hayhoe from Texas Tech University. Well, the UN calls her the champ, one of the champions of the earth. What a moniker that is. That's amazing. What an amazing teaching she had that weekend. And in week one, we learned about creation theology, how to read Genesis. And in our live stream that week, we had Dr. Peter Newman help us understand how to read that portion of scripture, that it wasn't maybe science-based as much as it was who-based, who created the world. And then uh, last week, we learned uh, how God has a plan to repair this planet. And the live stream is going to be very unique tonight. This is a conversation I've been anxious to have with many of you because our planet, as we know right now, is under duress. Uh, many people have let me know that, that not only has this been a challenging season, it's challenged a lot of people's beliefs and it's exposed a lot of people's extremes. And it's a kind of in a moment like this where people have reached out and said, listen, my faith equilibrium is being tested right now with all the messaging coming at me about pandemics, about vaccines, about end times, about the church and the government and how it all works together. Well, I, th I told you at the very beginning of this pandemic that at One Church TO and certainly for myself and my family, we're going to try to navigate this pandemic the Jesus way. You see, there were two ways when Jesus walked this planet that the people chose to walk in. You'd either walk in the secular way, which was Herod's way of getting things done, or you walked in the religious way, which was the Pharisees' way of getting things done. And Jesus shows up, and he refuses to walk in either their way. He creates a third way, his way. And see, Jesus got in the way of the religious and the secular way, and in the end, that was the original cancel culture, and they had to cancel Jesus. But the Jesus way is a way of thinking. It's a way of reacting. It's a way of leading. It's a way of deciding. You see, a lot of Christians and even churches in seasons when they're under pressure like this, they can resort to trying to jump into the secular way, uh, exert their rights, uh, use the tools and the levers of the culture and the world around them to get what they want, or they could go in the religious way, which could isolate them and create an us and them. But Jesus invites us into a, a different path. See, what if we could navigate this pandemic in such a way that at the end of it, we're so proud with the way we represented the person of Jesus. So that's the conversation we're going to have tonight with Dr. Van Johnson. And we're going to navigate this together. And I'm going to invite you even now, just start populating the chat room with questions. We're going to curate them. Uh, Matt and Jerry are in there. They're hosting this moment in our chat room. And we're going to try to answer as many questions as we can, because I know you have questions. My inbox has been filling up over the last number of months. People wondering about vaccines. We can talk about them. People wondering about the mark of the beast and, and chips and vaccines and conspiracy theories. And what about a government that seems to be locking down and shutting down? And what's our role in that? Well, we want to have that type of conversation tonight. And we want to do it the Jesus way. At the end of our time together, Dr. Van Johnson is going to take some time and just pray for us. Anyone who's struggling as we're navigating this pandemic together. But I, I want to leverage because in a conversation with him, I just knew I wanted to bring him into a space where you'd have access to him to begin to talk about it as him being a, a biblical scholar, a historian, understanding a lot of what history and how the church has navigated previous eras and moments that might look a little bit like this. I knew this would be an invaluable conversation. So uh, listen, I was going to say, put your hands together, but in the chat room, you could do that. You can actually 
you let some hearts fly, put your hands together. Let's welcome Dr. Van Johnson. Van, how long have you been there? Hey, Pastor Jonathan, <laughs> it's so cool to be in the church tonight. Very cool. Well, uh, Van, we're going to jump right into our conversation. There's lots yep. of people in the chat room, great questions already coming in from them. But let, let's set the stage a little bit by talking about a little of the pandemic. And really, the COVID pandemic essentially is it a is it a Christian problem or is a common problem globally? What, what, what does our faith and what does the global reality of this pandemic, how do they intersect? Uh, great question to start with, right? And uh, I know some in the Christian community feel uh, as if they are being singled out for particular persecution. And I hope, I hope tonight we can just, for those that are feeling, hey, they're using this to get at us. I hope we can just think a little bit more broadly here, maybe shed a bit more light on it. Look, this is something we are all facing, but it has a Christian angle. Uh, it, it, it's something we're all facing. And uh, when it comes down to it, um, suffering and death for many with and those who survive with ongoing side effects, and then the rest of us who have been spared, the great pain of separation. Mm. Uh, and, and this is global, right? It, it's, it's social separation. It's had economic uh, effects. Uh, Jonathan, in one of our chats, I, I mentioned to you that what makes this particular global pandemic um, so difficult for any human being to navigate is that we're getting a taste of hell. I'm not saying Christians are. I'm saying the planet is getting a taste of hell. What do you mean by that? The, the essence of hell is being where God is not. Uh, as, as, as hell is described in its early form in the Old Testament, it's primarily this place where there's no, there's no light, there's no mm. joy, there's no, there's no water, there's no, there's no voice. Uh, and then in, in the New Testament, it picks up other imagery of, of fire, but the essence of, of hell is that we're separated from everything good. You sometimes hear the joke, oh, I'd rather, I'd rather be with the sinners. They're more fun in the afterlife than with the saints. But the reality of hell is we're getting a taste of it. Uh, hell is separation from God. And once that's broken, Everything else starts to break down too. And what makes this particular phase of human existence so decimating is uh, that we're all getting a taste of, of, of hell uh, as with a taste of COVID. But, but, it, but it does have a Christian angle too, and I know we want to get at it. So it, it's everyone's problem, but we, we have a particular sensitivity to it. Not that we're necessarily being targeted, but faith, faith survives when the people of God stand together. Mm. And the fact that uh, I'm in a sanctuary by myself, mm. one that I have spent a good part of my life in, many hours on that platform, singing, you know, with a full house, 
it, it's painful for us. Thank, thank the Lord. And I don't say this every day with both the internet. <laughs> In fact, today I had some other expressions that I used to describe the internet. <laughs> But, uh, but thank the Lord for like this. Jonathan's in the hallway and, uh, you know, we connect. So. so, you know, it has a Christian angle, but uh, look, at this is something we're all in it. And I really like the way you began. May we at the end of it feel like we took the lead mm. rather than just being the rabble at the back, right? Like throwing darts, right? Wouldn't it be something if our churches were seen as sort of taking the lead in helping our communities rather than the malcontent saying, hey, you open liquor stores. <laughs> I was thinking of, uh, I don't know who said it, Van, but because I've probably read it decades ago, but that Jesus was a non-reactive presence. And uh, the, the, the idea was simply this, the circumstances around him didn't cause him to act in a way that wasn't uh, congruent with who he was. And I thought, I, I've thought a lot about that in this pandemic moment. Uh, about uh, the church and followers of Jesus being a non-reactive presence doesn't mean we don't react to things or but but right. we're not driven or controlled right. by the circumstances around us and in light of that thinking through church history and you know the centuries of Christendom uh, is there moments that you can think of that the church and followers of Jesus have faced COVID-19 like circumstances and how did they navigate that and what can we learn from them? Uh, you gave me this uh, very nice book. Uh, can you? Yeah. Uh, the Last Days Are Here Again, A History of the End Times. And uh, when we were planning this, I immediately thought of this little book that you had bought me because it goes right back to the early church and describes the difficulties the church has had through the centuries. Difficult enough, ominous enough, that there were voices back in the first century. We, we, can, we can read Paul. We will later. And through other centuries saying, this is it. This is the big one. The, you know, the evil one is coming upon us. The church is under attack. Uh, every century. And every century in some part of the world. Uh, you know, we, we in Canada, of course, have had blessings being, uh, being a, a free society, an open society, one that can vote those leaders out that we're angry with right now, right? right? Yeah. You know, if we were in leadership, yeah, yeah. right? Like I would know <laughs> what to do, <laughs> right? We, we, but based on Christian principles where we're still, where we still have, you know, the kind of freedom that is the envy of, of many, uh, countries around the world and, the kind of freedom that some Christians in some parts of the world cannot even imagine. And so when we think of being in difficulty right now as a church, uh, let's, let's just, let's just remind ourselves that we are taking our place in church history. <laughs> this, this is not un, okay. A global pandemic. Okay. Maybe going back to the Spanish flu. When was the last time that something twirled the planet like this? But through the centuries, Jonathan, uh, Christians have, have struggled with difficulty so much that they thought that Jesus must be about to come any moment because it was so bad. So when you ask me what we can learn, um, well, first, let's not get too shaken by the fact that we're being shaken. 
Well, let's, and, and in fact, let's, let's, not get, let, let's not think more highly of our situation than we ought, as if, wow, no one's ever faced anything like this. Ask, ask Christians who get hunted down right. after they go to Sunday service right. what the tribulation is like, and you get something a little different than us having to order Swiss Chalet in by phone. Um, so, you know, some humility here. But if you go right back to the early church, of course, they faced persecution. They were not recognized as a religion. As long as they were associated with Jews in the various cities and towns they lived with, they were okay because the Romans knew the Jews. But once Christianity starts separating and Christians stop going to the synagogue and the, and the break between Jew and Christian becomes more marked, uh, Christians get marked. And uh, we, we all, many of us heard the, the horror stories about Nero liked to use the Christians as scapegoats, mm-hmm. right? As if the Christians were, were the problem. Isn't that interesting, right? They, the Christians now were the problem, right? Instead of the they we like to speak of, we were the problem. Right. Um, and, and so how did they handle it? If, if there's one uh, book in the New Testament, I think, that speaks more directly to our situation uh, is there any book that speaks more directly to our situation than First Peter? I don't. I can't think of one. First Peter. Uh, Peter says, "Look, because we love Jesus, because we're in this world, we should expect suffering, right? Don't be surprised you're being shaken." And P- so Peter accepts it as part of our life for Christ that we're going to suffer. In you know, in, in some ways, this may be the best days we've had as a church in recent memory, because it's forcing us to, um, to know where our faith is, to, to where it's, to putting it where it, it should be. Um, what else does the New Testament tell us? Okay, so suffering we should expect. Uh, secondly, uh, don't lose touch with one another. Okay, right. That's good. Right. But look at what we're doing tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay, empty room, nobody else here, health and safety protocols. I get it. I'm participating in it. But we haven't lost touch with, with, with one another. And I think the bottom line for Christians has always been, hey, okay, like w- what happened to our courage? I, I, I think, I think wow. the primary idea for Christians always was that God was stronger. And like the fear and the cowering, like folks, what what happened to our nerve? What what happened to that backbone that Christ? What happened to the hope of of Jesus in us now in light of His return? I, but but, but you ben, know, what would what would you say to someone that says, courage. "Here's you say that and say, well, precisely that's why we shouldn't social distance. That's why we don't need. We have courage." Uh, but it really errs on the error side of maybe recklessness. But like, uh, I, I think, what do you say when you say that, that type of courage that buoys up, but also too is responsible? Yeah, right. So courage, courage to be who we are, but also the discernment to allow the spirit of God in us as individuals and as a community to discern how to use our courage mm. in such a way that Jesus looks better rather than demeaning him in the culture's Whoa. eyes. Courage wow. to sacrifice what we need to sacrifice to get our heads together. 
to discern together in prayer what's the appropriate way that we use our freedom. Uh, okay, Galatians, right? Use, use, you have freedom, but don't use it for an occasion to the flesh. Right. Let me suggest that if we are brazen in saying Christ set me free, I am free to do whatever we want, we may have lost the narrative of Christianity as a faith that sacrifices for others. So good to know that Jesus on the way to the cross doesn't cry, freedom, right? (laughs) And just says, I'm out of here. This is not what I was called for. Jesus goes to the cross and sacrifices, and he tells his followers before he goes, look, uh, people will know, people will know that you're with me the way you love one another. And so freedom gets tempered with love. And I am concerned the way my neighbors view my actions because they know me and they know who I am. And I'm concerned about the people that live around this church, how they see us, because uh, we know freedom in Jesus, but we've also learned that we use that freedom, that power we have, to sacrifice for others. And boy, that sacrifice takes courage. So somehow, uh, using our freedom in Jesus at an opportune moment to be the kind of witness that the world will sit up and, and take notice. Um, I really, really like that, Van. I, you know, I, I think often through this pandemic and when, when everyone else is losing their heads, uh, we have the opportunity to be, for lack of a better term, the adults in the room as followers of Jesus because uh, our faith is so anchored in not just temporary moments. Our faith is anchored in the eternal promise we have in Christ Jesus. That's the, where the confidence flows from. The confidence flows from that spirit that is inside of us that is a witness to us being already adopted into the family of God. And I, I, I think you, you brought this up earlier in your chat here, just in, as you're responding about, uh, kind of the area of end times. And I, I think yeah. historically, you know, when we've had moments like 9-11, I, I've, right. I've received the emails of people feeling like, oh, we're in end times, uh, right. Y2K. And you'd, re- right. you'd remember the turn of the previous century. Uh, the, yeah, no, sorry, Dan. Uh, yeah, had yeah, to, let's see. Yeah. 21 years yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah, I, I can remember. No, 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 Charlie. the previous one to that one, Van. That's all. Oh, I was pre- around oh. for that one, but. Oh yeah, Ancient of Days. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 come on. Well, uh, come we, on. we automatically go ageism. to that. I am calling <laughs> ageism. out ageism right now. Uh, can we mute his mic? <laughs> but, but like a lot of our old hymns had a sense of escapism to them too. Some of those hymns had a, a sense of like, uh, how do we get out of this world? Streets of gold, mansions, let's just get out of here. Everything's about to burn up. And uh, I think even in this narrative, the emails that have been coming in to me have been around end times. A lot of fear. Yeah, yeah. A lot of fear that we're in the end days. Yeah. A lot of fear that the, you know, the mark of the beast is uh, wow. part of the vaccine thing. So, wow. uh, that's incredible. I didn't, I didn't know that. Well, there you go. Now, you know that, that maybe the vaccine has a chip in it. Maybe that, Whoa. Maybe, oh yeah, I've got, I've got lots to lay on you tonight. Man. Yeah, you, you got a Jump lot Jump in the great... chat room. Keep those questions flowing. But like Pastor Jonathan, who are your conversation partners? Like 
You you need to it's change with your, your children and everything. No, no, no. <laughs> no I, I, lots of well-meaning people that get nervous because they're hearing a lot of things on YouTube. Yeah, they're yeah. hearing things from other Christian ministers, even, and yeah, yeah. it's not a calming presence. It's it's an anxious presence. Yeah. And so maybe talk to us a little bit about how does this all fit into end times and, you know, how do we know that the vaccine is not leading to the mark of the beast? And, and, and yeah, go ahead. Okay, John, I'm, like, I'm going to write that one down, okay? Because someday I'm going to be looking back and I'm thinking, what did I do with my life? And then I'll look at the night tonight and I'm writing it down because I won't believe it. Vaccine equals uh, microchip. And Mark of the Beast. Uh, Okay, I'm just going to, like, set that one aside for a minute because uh, the Lord will help me to figure out how to take that. Okay, let's, let's talk about something else. It is the last days, absolutely. Hey, thank the Lord this book was published because it's a sign that the church has her wits about her. The only way to be the church is to understand that these are the last days, and the last days began when Jesus arrived. So that is the stance. And so because we are in the last days still, we have to be aware that there is something very positive happening because the Spirit of God is moving, and that there is evil that is pushing against it. Absolutely. That's what it means to be a believer. So here's a text. Uh, from 1 John chapter 2, okay? 1 John chapter 2. John's the only writer that actually uses the term antichrist. Paul will talk about a man of lawlessness. In the book of Revelation, it's, uh, you know, the dragon, the beast, the other beast, like an, uh, like a satanic trinity, right? right? But it's, but, but we, but the, the name that we seem to jump all over is antichrist. John uses it. And here's here's a place that he uses it, okay? Uh, Dear children, this is the last hour. Okay, this is 2,000 years ago. And he was right. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many, many Antichrists have come. Ah. So, you know, we're, we're always looking for the big one, right? The capital A Antichrist. Mm. But uh, Paul is saying, just be aware that there are many people who will fulfill that role. And I won't take the time to read it all, but here he's most concerned with those who now oppose Christ, who were a part of the church and left it. Okay. (laughs) Or John is thinking that this is the Antichrist that have come out of the church. So John's not even necessarily thinking of a political figure here or a government figure He's thinking of, of those that used to be a part of the church and that have left. Okay, I'm going down to First uh, John 2, verse 22 now, right? Uh, who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. Uh, in essence, what Antichrist is, is someone who, who opposes Jesus who opposes the truth and is actively working against what Christ is attempting to do. Okay, so without going into too much detail here, and it, it may come up in the chat room, 
Let me just uh, transition over into imagery that the entire culture knows, the 666. It's in popular right. culture. And so it's known as the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast in the book of Revelation, and it's the only place that it's spoken about, the mark of the beast is, uh, you know, 666 on the forehead is what we picture. Uh, folks, this is, this is symbolism. This is visual imagery, right? Uh, because later, later, uh, in the book of Revelation, the faithful ones are described as those who have the Lamb's name written on their foreheads, mm -hmm. right? In other words, if you have the mark, you, you've sold out and you're either sold out for Jesus or to the beast, to this system. And so that's the idea of, of the mark. Uh, you know, th th don't ask people to lift up their ball caps to see if they got 666 here. It, it, it symbolizes somebody who has fallen prey to the world. Okay. Just, just as an aside, and I think it's a very important way to understand the book of Revelation. Uh, the spirit of Antichrist is a lot more deceptive than we, uh, than we might think. Mm. And we trivialize the spirit of this world when we think we can get it down to, oh, we'll, we'll know when he's coming because he'll have 666 on his forehead. I mean, this is maybe the most stupid Antichrist on the face of the earth. <laughs> But the spirit of Antichrist in the book of Revelation is chilling. Because the spirit of Antichrist, by which you cannot buy or sell, right, you need the mark, is that you have adopted the philosophy of this world, even though this world, and here, and here in the background is, is built upon violence and upon, um, upon the, uh, what was the term I want? Um, a, a breaking the backs of, of the poor and the destitute. It's a society built on a deception. And uh, I think, unfortunately, to our discredit, we have made this figure almost cartoonish. Yeah. And so, oh, we'll see him coming. And we don't realize that we might have, be, have picked up a bit of the spirit of the... Not, okay, not saying we're possessed. But in other words, the spirit of the Antichrist could be adopting... All of the values of this world, way. and the only difference is that we're nicer. Yeah. So, so it kind of be it, like it, it's less like some Christian that's listening now. It's not going to be injected with a with a, with a chip or a number or something that's going to somehow make them. It's a way of living. It's a value system they have bought into that is counter the way of Jesus, right? Okay, so I, I, I I'm reading my notes again because I just want to remind myself. You're saying that some people, these aren't people you've put up to it, right? These are real people who are saying that the I'm saying vaccine... really good people. They're good people <laughs> that have been taught a lot of stuff through YouTube videos and other things where there's a bit of sensationalization and even the way they read the apocalyptic literature. And if you've not been a part of our YOLO series where Dr. Van talks about how to read apocalyptic literature, because it's not a part of our modern narrative. So it is confusing. And people begin to try to piece this together as a kind of puzzle. And the puzzle is that maybe the vaccine is preparing us for the mark of the beast or is the mark of the beast. Pastor Jonathan, you have just demonstrated the wonderful gift of being a pastor 
And when I look back on you, I'm writing down your name. <laughs> you made that theory sound as if I should actually respond to it. That was really good, man. You're right. A lot of really good people get confused. They see things. But look, you... they don't need to inject a tracking device in me. I've already got one. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's just let's just discern here for a minute. They're putting a chip inside you with the vaccine. Who are they? Mm. How did they do this? How did how does no one realize except the people on YouTube? There's no investigative journalists out there that this is the scoop of the year. There has been no vaccine more examined and studied, every way tested than this one by scientists in every cult, every civilized country in the world. No one has spotted the microchip, or they've all seen it, and no one's saying anything. Folks, okay, look, forgive me for being flippant here, but come on. <laughs> like, who are they? Like, I've got, I've got one vaccine in me. I wish I, wish I had the second one. Um, and I'm not going back in my history wondering about that polio vaccine I got. Mm. Oh, Got to get that one out of me. That might have saved my life, but I mean, folks. Okay, well, let me take it a little in a, in a different direction. One of the guys in the chat room says this. Uh, Multitudes of Christians, including quite a few at One Church CEO, follow and support KAnon conspiracies. Bill Gates started COVID to control the world and bring on communism to rule one government. And uh, there's lots of, uh, a, a number of people uh, mention even... Um, I'm trying to find the question here. The political uh, realm. What do you say to the tens of millions of Americans and Canadians and Christians uh, who believe that Trump is God's elect to clean up the U.S. and by extension the world and, and was right to lead the insurrection in the U.S. Capitol? Again, it gets political, but, it, but it's talking about uh, not just the chip or not just the mark of the beast, but uh, the government's ability even to control us in this moment. And, you know, if you're a part of One Church TO, you know, you've probably heard me say this. Friends, the church is not under persecution. The church is in a pandemic. There's a big difference between those two things. And some of you may not know this, but the Canadian government actually has funded churches and charities across Canada, wage subsidy, including One Church TO, so we could keep our staff employed because they want as many churches emerging on the other side of this because they recognize whether or not it's a faith thing, they recognize the social good that churches do in this country. So they're very invested in seeing churches through this season. But there's a lot of conspiracy theories, and let's kind of wrap it around that. Okay. How, do, how do we handle conspiracy theories in this moment? My, uh, my, my, my conspiracy theory is, as a young person, I don't know where I heard it, but I was fascinated by it. The Illuminati. Some, right. Somewhere just before high school, early high school, I heard that there was a group of individuals and they were controlling the world, the Illuminati. And I, I've never forgotten it because, you know, you picture a dark, dark street with a, a little lamp like in a spy novel and here's the illuminati you know uh slightly illumined but in the darkness and i remember going to mcgill and uh you know i'm no longer in high school and i'm just thinking i'm 
studying with some of the most brilliant people in the world, and we're talking about social movements and politics, and I'm thinking, why, why do none of them know about the Illuminati? I mean, like, if anybody should know, these, these, brilliant, uh, these brilliant professors should know. And so, I mean, I, I must admit, for a while, I was sort of fascinated with the idea. Look, conspiracies are really popular. And, you know, look, I, I don't, I'm not a, an expert on conspiracies, but when things are complicated, they are very reassuring. Right. Because they simplify life. Right. And, and when things get difficult, um, you know, it's, it's easy to latch on to those are the evil ones and there's my savior. And you've got to be really careful with that uh, because amongst the many difficulties of thinking that way, one of the downsides of being a conspiracy theorist is uh, you might badly hurt some people. Uh, I'll come back to that one, Jonathan, sure. if you want. I mean, some of these are actually dangerous. Yeah. But secondly, we, we, we fall into something which is more comforting than it should be for many of us, and that's the, the feeling that we're a victim. And you see what that does then is it, it takes us off the hook. It gives us an excuse for doing nothing. I mean, pe- people in marriages have done this since marriage was invented, right? You, you blame it on, oh, Pastor Fan, I would be a spiritual giant if it wasn't for my, you know, my husband, right? So, like, he's the evil right. one, and you've got to stay. So, you blame it on your husband, and then you don't have to develop your spiritual life because, okay, okay, now, kick it up a notch. Oh, well, they are keeping us from, you know, that government is keeping us. That church pastor, I've heard this, that pastor, that board right. is, and it's, and it's an easy way to handle things that you find difficult. And you imagine that they are actually conspiring, not being honest, but conspiring to do you harm, to do your friends harm. And it's an awful thing, but it's really tempting, isn't it? Because it just simplifies life. But look, this can be a deadly thing. Uh, maybe no group of people on the face of the earth have suffered more with conspiracy theories than the Jews. Uh, there were conspiracy theories about how they were controlling the world system. Uh, and those theories helped contribute to the, 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 the fervor behind the Holocaust. The Jews were the problem. Hey, and in Jewish history, that wasn't the first time. You can track back into the Middle Ages this idea that, that Jews were, were killing off Christian children and mixing the blood of these sacrificed children into their Passover matzah, that still circulates. Wow. It's about a millennium old. Wow. And so you, you read these stories in these villages, particularly in Europe, a child goes missing or a child is found dead. And the townspeople, instead of thinking, who of us could have, it's the Jews. And some of these conspiracies are deadly. Now, without getting, without getting too serious here, a conspiracy that makes you think that it's a wise thing not to get a vaccine, you might kill yourself or somebody you love or a neighbor because you're convinced that they 
are lying to you. Some of these conspiracies are actually deadly. We just, we just have a predilection for them. It simplifies life, but sometimes it costs people their lives, and now would be a good example of that. Well, right? I mean, Van, uh, someone you would know, part of our church family, uh, epidemiologist, virologist, um, she's really been helping us through this pandemic, but she's been so patient in responding to some of my emails around vaccines and, and responding to some of these things. And I sent a video to her that someone in, in a part of the Christian community was circulating around about taking vitamin D is the, and, and her response was people do not realize how dangerous these videos that they circulate are. Right. It's dangerous. And, you know, some of the nonsense around vaccines and, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen me uh, send out some of her uh, research and some of her findings around it. But, you know, when, when it talks about it, uh, altering your DNA, you know, uh, this, this doctor who has spent her life studying pandemics and, and, uh, and vaccines would say it's medically impossible. It is not even in the realm of possible. And she would say, if you're going to come up with a good conspiracy theory, at least put it in the same area code because that conspiracy theory it's medically impossible. Can't, can't even happen. And there are so many things. If you have questions, throw in the chat room. I'll do my best to give you some of her research if that's helpful to you. But I think the conspiracy theory piece, it is rampant. I'm seeing in the chat room many people just saying it's rampant in Christendom right now. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, you know, okay. Yeah, I know. And I'm trying to make light of it because I honestly, there's a part of me that doesn't want to believe it. And look, there's a big part of me that wants to believe, at least for this church, one church, that no one of these dear people that I've been a part of ministering to have gone for this, have fallen for this. Dear friends. So, look, I'm being flippant. I was flippant earlier because it is, it's painful for me to believe that there are some who are so brazen to deceive others, many of them knowing what they're doing, and deceiving people who simply do not know better, but we do. Well, this comes in a great question from Zach in the chat room. He says, how do you talk to other Christians, family members even, about the conspiracy theories they're getting into when they don't acknowledge them as conspiracies but consider them as truth? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the quick answer is, look, the more, and Pastor Jonathan just did it, the more information you can put out there, uh, information is deadly for conspiracies. Now, look, there's going to be some people, that's their thing. It simplifies life. Right. Okay, it's, it's a sin. Yeah. It's a sin because it tends to lead you to saying you're on the right side, everybody else is on the wrong side. It's awful, folks. But, okay, you can't say that. You're awful. But it's, 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 a, it's a human tendency. I think it's part of our sinful nature. You demonize someone or something or the great they. Not the great Satan now, but the great they. They are putting this, and you always wonder who the they are. Right. But, okay, let me, let me come to what I think is maybe the most helpful biblical passages on this. Uh, Paul two different letters, two approaches we need to bring together biblically. Here's where I would go with a family member or somebody who is getting drawn out with this. Uh, Paul certainly believed that there was a man of lawlessness 
that was coming uh, absolutely, absolutely. So, Second Timothy, am I going to the right place? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I think, I think. Dan, you need to brush up on your sword drills. Yeah, my sword drill. My my Bible is falling apart. I don't know how many people in the chat room even know what a sword drill is. <laughs> it sounds like a conspiracy uh, theory to me. Um, oh, I, I know what I want. I know what I want. Sorry. I want, I do need to brush up on this. <laughs> Second Thessalonians. Okay. First Thessalonians is maybe the strongest um, uh, text that Paul has written that we need to be aware of the soon coming of the Lord and be prepared. In Second, in Second Thessalonians, his follow-up letter, he deals with some misunderstandings. So in the first letter, he's saying, look, this is really important. We need to act like it. And secondly, in, in the, the follow-up letter, hey, uh, be careful what you think of when you, when you think about the last days. So in Second Thessalonians, he talks about the man of lawlessness. Um, and he said, yes, that person is coming. Mm-hmm. And he says the spirit of lawlessness is already in the world. So if you're, if you're writing down scripture texts, sorry, I took you to Timothy there. I was thinking about something else. Uh, Second Thessalonians 2, right from verse 1, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, he says, don't become easily unsettled or alarmed, right? And then he says, okay, verse 3, there is a man of lawlessness that will come, doomed to destruction. Yes, yes. And then verse 7, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Okay, good. So Paul says, yeah, there's evil. But what's really interesting is that uh, in a later letter, so the Thessalonian letters are some of the earliest letters that he wrote. Mm-hmm. In a later letter to the Romans, he, he repeats for the Christian community something that he had learned uh, as a Jew, that the Jewish people have a better chance of succeeding in under successive oppressive regimes because they had no land of their own. Uh, they, they have learned, um, well, back in Paul's day, yes, they had, they had the land, but the Romans were, were uh, ruling them. It's very interesting that Paul uses established Jewish wisdom to say, respect the authorities. Right. Now, of course, he would say if they're trying to tell you not to believe in Jesus. That's very interesting that you, you're telling me that the government has been helping churches financially. That's really very interesting. When he gets to Romans 13, he says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Now, look, Paul doesn't know about democracy yet, and we can vote them in and vote them out. But notice the respect Paul is saying. Notice that Paul is saying your first move is to give them the benefit of the doubt. And, of course, he goes on. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on yourself. So you're thinking, Dr. Van, stop reading right there. Paul doesn't know about COVID. No, he knows about the Romans. An oppressive regime. Yeah. He knows exactly what he, what he's talking about. 
For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. So for Christians who are defying the law and are getting thrown in jail, Paul would say, well, oh, yes. What, like, what are you doing? So would you say that like uh, out west, I know there's a pastor that yeah, uh, has been arrested because he's defied the law that way. Well, Paul would say uh, that might have been a mistake. Now, for he is God's servant to do you good. He is God's servant to bring uh, punishment on the evildoer. Paul is saying that God has put authority in place as a safety for us and even a safety for the believer. Mm. And he says, so pay your taxes, honor the people who are in government. Now, you're saying, but Dr. Van, they're closing us down. Folks, they're closing everything down. <laughs> like, ask the small business person how, how he or she is feeling. And they might look at your church and say, well, your building's going to make it. Mine's closed forever. Right? Like, but, oh, but, they're closing us down. Well, language... no, they're asking us for a while to do something that'll save lives. And uh, many churches are responding. And Paul would say, you know, that makes sense. And here's what's really interesting, Jonathan. Because Paul was a good citizen, when Paul needed to pull out his, his Roman citizenship his card, eh? yeah. he did. And he played that card repeatedly, mm. which allowed him to do what he'd always hoped to do, which was get to Rome. He was bounced from one court because he kept appealing right to Caesar. Wow. So it's really interesting. Okay, so hold these two things together. Paul says, yeah, there's a man of lawlessness. But do you notice that he's not automatically associating that with the government? Yeah. And here's where we've got to have our wits about us. Don't imagine that because somebody puts a law in place, they're necessarily targeting the church. And don't assume then that that's the man of lawlessness, because Paul says we give the benefit of the doubt. But Dr. Van, they're pushing us too hard. Are they really? What if we're actually helping save people's lives? Here, here, here's, here's what I've been asked a couple times, and I don't even know how to start the conversation or start the answer. I get asked this. But, you know, small business people, people are getting hurt. They're, they're forced to close. The government shouldn't have done that. They should have left everything open. And I say, look, I don't really know how to do a cost-benefit analysis of somebody's life. So, really, I'm not good with this. If you've got good metrics for what's an acceptable level of death so that some people will face... Uh, more advantageous economic. Look, we're resilient. People build back up. They, they get back up. Look, don't ask me because uh, as a Christian, I'm pro-life all the way through. And if I'm serious about being pro-life, then I should be pro-life in a COVID pandemic too. Mm. And I should respect uh, my neighbors and I should give it my neighbors every indication that uh, I know we're all at risk and I should ask responsibly. So we're pro-life. Um, so if, if we need to, if we need to pull back on some of our freedoms for a while, then okay. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Dude, that, that was, that was good, friends. I hope you grabbed that one. I did the drop mic for you, Van, because I don't want you to drop yours. But uh, <laughs> listen, I saw in the chat room, just a little FYI, Denise, uh, had the AstraZeneca one and she's, uh, concerned right now. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, um, you know, the, the, the epidemiologists helped me with the AstraZeneca, just so we understand the risk of blood clots. This is, sure. and again, it's helpful to talk to experts. Somebody else asked in the chat room, like, how, how do you convince people that are determined that your DNA will be changed by the vaccine? Well, I would say science. 
science and experts can help you with that. But she, she writes and she said, the risk of blood clots in AstraZeneca is one in 250,000 people. So it sounds like a lot, but she said, put it in context. Every time you fly or you go on vacation, it's one in 400 chance. Oh. And any woman who's been on birth control, it's much higher than that. And so you, she, I love how she sums it up. She said, so it is 625 times more dangerous to go without the vaccine than to get AstraZeneca. So, right. I, you know, this is the part where uh, news headlines sometimes don't ha- aren't always helpful, but they, they're what sells papers and they're what grabs people's attention. Papers, like I'm talking a different era here. But, but yep. the science, and this is why even yep. when we're looking at scripture, whether it was a Genesis narrative a, a number of weeks ago we dealt with or Dr. Van talking about how to read apocalyptic literature and understand it, uh, it's really critical that we're listening to informed voices. I said this uh, a couple weekends ago. What do you care what I think about the vaccines? Uh, what does a pastor know about those vaccines? But, but I do care what a follower of Jesus, who's an epidemiologist and a virologist who has spent her life, and I loved her. She gave me a little illustration, Van. She said, uh, she said if you broke your, your arm, Jonathan, you don't want me setting it. You want an orthopedic surgeon or someone yeah. doing that. Yeah, if, if, if your wife's having a baby, you don't want me delivering your baby. Because <laughs> all I've done with my whole career is pandemics and vaccines. That's all I know. And and she would say similarly. Sometimes people will hear, so this doctor said this, this doctor said that. And she goes, they, they may be wonderful doctors, but many of them, unless they have those credentials, they've not spent their life in this area where I have. And, right. and, and she was the first to say she'll take whatever vaccine's available. And uh, she has a compromised immunity even, but she just knows the value for the society around her. For her, this is how loving Jesus helps her love other people. Yeah. That's good, man. Um, we got a lot of questions. You want to you yeah. rapid fire some of these? Yeah, sure. Okay. This is a really good one by Alho- Aloha Man. Nice, nice, nice handle. He's he's taking us to Amos chapter 8, actually. Amos chapter 8. And he says, uh, some have pointed Amos 8 as having relevancy to the current situation. Would love to know your thoughts. Number one, worship in churches. Songs will be stopped. Amos 8 verse 3. Dead bodies are lying everywhere. Amos 8 verse 3. Nations will be trembling and mourning. Amos 8 8. And festivals will be eliminated. Amos 8 10. So people have kind of picked up from the prophetic uh, literature of Amos chapter 8, and they're applying it to our present situation. And my first question, and I wish the person was here, what does uh, a, fairly, uh, a fairly common type of message in the Old Testament, often associated with the day of the Lord, that there is a day, God's mercy is great, but there is a day, when we will be called to be responsible for what we have and have not done. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, I appreciate it. Amos 8, uh, great text. You could have chosen a lot of others. It's fine too. But they speak of this day when, um, when God will judge those who have turned away from him. Um, this is a, a moment of divine judgment. So what I'd want to know from Aloha Man, and I sort of feel like I wish I was there with Aloha Man because it sounds like a little better place. Um, what does God's judgment 
upon people at the end of time have to do with COVID? Uh, unpack that, Ben. What do you mean? This is, um, unless, okay, you see, okay, folks, there is, there's a lot of texts about that day of judgment, but we're not, but we're not talking about the day of judgment here. We're talking about the kinds of trials and tribulations and persecutions that human beings face because we're on a planet that is out of whack and that Christians face in a different way and sometimes intensified because we actually know there's a world that's not out of whack. Mm. And so we long for something better now that we know there's something better. So like we're all facing that. COVID is what does the eventual judgment of God upon people who are against God have to do with taking a vaccine that's preserving life? Um, I, I know this is a serious question from uh, this person. I'm just, I really don't know why you'd pull this text out any more than um, Christians have through the centuries looked at certain texts and saying, you know, when the judgment of God falls, I don't want to be the one upon whom it falls. But what would be the equivalent of, I'm sorry, uh, um, I'm not answering this well because I'm struggling to see what the connection is. This is the final day of judgment. In, a, in Amos. Well, like, we're talking about a vaccine so that we can get back to work and open up and sit in this church together. I'm, I'm really struggling. To me, that's just picking out a text. Uh, what is it about the rest of Amos, Aloha Man, that makes you think? What is it about the rest of those similar texts that makes you think that this is applicable to something that uh, that Christians might go through um, I, before Jesus returns? And I don't think it's... Loha Man is quoting what he's heard people c- citing, so I'm not sure... And I'm saying he. I, well, Aloha Man, maybe maybe it is he. But uh, so it was. it's more in reference to some of the stuff he's heard circulated. But that does speak to some of the prophetic literatures, though, Van and the application too. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about it in week one of our series, how Paul's theology shifted a little bit over time when he realized that Jesus wasn't coming back any minute where he initially thought it and said, don't get married. And then he later, as his theology encounters the reality that Jesus wasn't returning in that time frame that he initially thought, there was a shift. He, he opens up marriage to everyone. But prophetic literature and speaking to these moments, I can, I understand why people would look to them. They're trying to find answers and connections to what they're going through and whether or not this is, you know, we go back to that end times piece locking in there. Yeah. You you need some, somebody better to interview next time you do this. (laughs) I, I am really, I'm really struggling to understand how the final judgment of God has anything to do with what we're going through. That's good. Look, people put stuff out yeah. there. But I could throw all kinds of verses on a YouTube. Right. Here, and here's where we need discernment. Um, look, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Right. There will be challenges we face. What makes us think that this is Amos 8 as opposed to what might have happened uh, in and around the time of Amos and shortly thereafter? Perhaps it is best to say there are recurring challenges right. that we face as the people of God, 
But let's discern here. Is this really it? Maybe we don't have really very good imagination. Because if you find uh, a country in the world right now where uh, Christians need to be careful where they gather lest they be reported by somebody, again, our our frame of reference is too small. We think tribulation is COVID? Well, it's what we're all facing. And by the grace of God, let's get through it and let's lead and let's have some courage. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just... I don't know what that has to do with this. Well, so so let's leave it. I'm going to actually... Jonathan, you'll no, know. Yeah, yeah. You, you are a man of the people. Right. Like, I'm a lofty scholar. I don't know. <laughs> okay, here's a great question by A-Ball. They, they just want to know, what song <laughs> has Dr. Johnson been singing the most during the pandemic? Let's... Because he lives. You know, I, I haven't been singing that one, but I walked out in this platform... Yeah. Um, and I was just caught again by a sense of uh, good nostalgia. And maybe I sang that chorus as much as any chorus. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Amos 8. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Mm. Amos 8. I'm not under the judgment of God. Because I know he holds the future. Ooh. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Okay. But you know what? I have been groaning though. And groaning is a very eschatological sound. Paul in probably Paul deals with the great uh, difficulty we have in being here when we know there's a better place. He, he probably deals with it better in Romans 8 than anywhere else. And he describes, he describes our longing for the return of Jesus mm-hmm. as a groaning. And he, and he gets on like he's preaching, right? He says, okay, creation's groaning because creation wants to be delivered. Hey, we're groaning because we've tasted the spirit of God. We're groaning. And then, and then Paul, like, like a good preacher, three points, he says, and you know, the spirit is groaning too. And this groaning is the sound of the pandemic, but it's also the sound of the believer who, uh, when the pandemic has, gone. Oh, Lord Jesus, may that be soon. Van, why is it if we're looking for the soon and eminent return of Jesus Christ, and that should be as followers of Jesus, it's the highlight. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the magnifica. It's the moment where Jesus returns in victory. Why, every time we might inch towards some end time event, it causes us catastrophic fear as opposed to and I'm not saying reveling in a, in a pandemic moment and, and you know, because it's terrible on everyone. But why does it so, so jarring to our faith when anything that moves us closer to a moment Jesus returns is, you know, it's not that that's good, but why, why does that jar our faith like that? Do we, do we not understand it properly? Amos chapter nine. Oh. <laughs> Amos 8, look at that. In that day, same day, I will restore David's fallen tent. Mm. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins, Mm. and build it as it used to be. Come on, folks. That's my word of exhortation. Come on. 
there's there's great questions or great comments yep. here. Like, you know, I just see Melly. I just saw yours. Why can't I be anti-mask and be a Christian? Why are people so quick to judge? Well, Melly, you can be a Christian. And, yep. Go ahead, Jonathan. This is well, no, you can be a Christian and anti-mask. And I think yep. we can be a Christian in many of our areas of lives and, and hold differing views and perspectives. And I hope there's a lot of respect Obviously, I think maybe if you're feeling a little bit of heat around it, it's because, uh, you know, when, when you talk to the healthcare workers in our church that are just exhausted beyond measure. Yeah. When you see yeah. what's going on in Calgary, when you've seen what has happened in those things without vaccines, um, the, the, the results are so detrimental. And again, I, I would say this, wherever we're getting our information, making sure that it comes from uh, medical experts. Just as, uh, you know, Van, your PhD is in the intertestimonial period, isn't it? Intertestamental period. So between the Old Testament and New Testament. So, you know, yep. guys, when we're talking about the intertestimonial period. Testamental. 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 Think of testimony. Okay. Intertestamental. Okay, not intestinal. Yep. No. Nope. Okay. Uh, you know, Van's got the floor because he's spent his life kind of zoned in on that piece and then obviously since uh his scholarly work is romans uh commentaries and others yeah but yeah but it would be the same in the medical community uh it doesn't matter what i think it really does matter about people who have spent their life studying this trying to help us trying to help us in these moments yep yeah okay so look at i i am taking this seriously and i have gotten emotional a few times because i'm concerned about our witness here um, you, there are some people that are anti-vaccine. I know that. And it's nothing to do with this, and they're just being consistent. Bless you. If, if somebody really doesn't want to wear a mask, please don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Please, don't tell anybody you're doing it because you're a Christian. Because um, what we do right now is really significant. If we say we are, let me say it again, we are for life, Let's act like it. And even if you might suspect that the mask does nothing, would you put it on as a way of saying to somebody else, I care about you. Mm. Just don't let them know you're a Christian, please. Mm. Okay? If it's personal conviction and you want to get away with what you can, look, um, Amos 9 is fantastic because it picks up this dread. Look, the end times is both, uh, yep, things to worry about, but... Ultimately, the power of God is going to uh, pervade and push back the evil. And this is where we should shine the brightest. It's an unusual opportunity for us. So be careful. If, if people know you're a Christian, and my neighbors know I am, uh, just, just be careful how you approach them, because that's, particularly now, because that is how they're going to read your Christianity, by the way. That's good, Van. A uh, number of questions. Just going to keep firing through some of these ones. Uh, here's a question from Rose T. In many ways, our time now feels like the end times. We've been right in this question. But we also know that the return of Jesus will be the be at the least expected moment. How do we reconcile this tension <laughs> as being the stewards of the world while not losing heart, witnessing yeah. the decay of the world? Yeah, that's, yeah, really that's good. a good one, Rose. Okay, Rose. okay. I'm past Amos 8. Okay. Yeah, move on, man. Thank the Lord for Amos 9. <laughs> this is fantastic. Okay. Hey, uh, this, this is exactly the dilemma we should be in. Uh, 
we believe, so it's been 2,000 years now, and Pastor Jonathan, you said it well, no generation, including Paul's, particularly Paul's, no generation um, has believed in the soon return more than the early church did. Mm. Fervent. Paul was telling people, don't get married, you're wasting time, Jesus is coming back. And you're right. By the time some years go by, and Jesus hasn't returned. He's giving marriage advice in Ephesians and Colossians. <laughs> right on. So we live in expectation, but we keep living. We keep living knowing that we don't know. Mm. Okay. So the fact, okay, this is a nice way. I, I've, in class a lot, I get asked, Dr. Van, why, why don't Pentecostals stop saying Jesus? Why don't, why don't they just stop saying Jesus is coming soon? Because it's not true. It's been 2,000 years. To which my best answer is, because we don't know, it's, it's at any moment. Mm. Because we don't know, it could be at any time. And to be a Christian is to live with that expectation. But because I'm a Christian who is reading about the early church 2,000 years ago, <laughs> I get the idea that I might not be the only one that has lived in expectation of the return of Jesus but doesn't see it. But I must live like the next life is more important. Wow. Look, eschatology is a passion with me, and you know yes. it. You've referred to that YOLO series. What you think about the end is really important because it's not a hobby. It's not something you just say, hey, be cool to think about. It determines how I live yeah. now. Look, I'm a fool if I don't believe that there's a future life because I've given up a lot. Haven't you, mm -hmm. folks? I mean, you've given away money that you've worked overtime for churches like that. What are you doing? We live as if there is a better future. We live as if there's a Jesus. And for that reason, we live a certain way. I live my eschatology. What other kind of eschatology is there? So we must constantly be living as if he's returning in our lifetime. And if someday there's a funeral service for me, Pastor Jonathan, I haven't asked you, but I'd be happy if you officiated. Uh, like, if you're still alive, uh, like, okay. Right here would be nice. Uh, hopefully, there'll be, you know, COVID will be done. Um, look, we, we have to live, we have to live in expectation because that's what drives us. And that groaning sound, Jonathan, the groaning is the groaning of longing, not despair. And there's a big difference. There's a groan of despair that says, I can't take it anymore. And then there's the groan that Paul's talking about, which is, oh, Lord, can't wait. You, oh, Lord. You know, Van, You're coming, Van, that, right? That's different, right? In that sense of expectancy, yep. you know, one of the things yep. during COVID I've missed most is corporate worship. And yeah. uh, I'm thankful for, in, a, in our chat room with some of our worship team, I'm thankful for everyone who is just yep. doing their best, uh, helping us find that space but corporate worship builds expectancy of Christ's return in me. It's the presence of God I feel in community with others as we're singing about our yep. Savior that keeps my heart fixed on eternal things more than the temporary momentary moments that we find ourselves in right now. There's something so much, I can't wait, you know, to be in his presence like that. And worship has a way of whisking me there. I know everybody's yep. a little bit different, but... Yeah, but I can see it. how the expectancy fueled yeah. in our hearts is the same. When I come into a gathering, yeah. I expect Jesus is there. I expect God is at work. I expect I'm going to meet with God in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. And every time we do, you see, it just reminds us there's a different future. Every time we're healed, it reminds us that there's a different future. Look, there, there's so much to be hopeful about. Hey, pastor, I'm feeling the conviction of the Lord because like I'm about, you know, 20 meters from where I <laughs> led worship for many Sundays of my life. And I hope no one has been offended by, but you see, I'm a visual communicator. And if you, I prefer you be here because I would tell, be able to tell by your body language. Mm whether I had offended you or I was just gently pushing mm. you. And what I'm trying to do is gently push, but I can't see you at home. So I hope no one's been offended. But I am, uh, but I feel as strongly about this as you do. And if you're feeling, hey, there's a conspiracy here, okay, well, let me match my passion with yours because I think it's really serious how we act right now. And let's just say now together, okay, we're both passionate about this. Okay, let's discern together, shall we? What does the word say? Like, what does it say? Let's not just pick a verse. What does the word of God say? What is our hope? And our hope is that uh, he's coming back and what we're experiencing now will someday be gone and there is a new heaven and a new earth. And that's that's the biblical way of, of looking at the present in light of the future. Okay, Van, uh, you know, just looking in the chat room. Yep. Well, you know, thank you, friends, just for your honesty and your great thoughts and comments and questions. And uh, it's so good. I know we could keep going, but I'm mindful of, of time. And Van, I would like to have you pray for us tonight. I really would. I'm thinking of, you know, uh, Denise in here just had our vaccine shot and she's she's nervous. And yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of the, the people that sincerely just struggling with yeah. some of the conspiracies Absolutely. and they have to deal with maybe family members and others that, that it, yeah. it's just such a big part. I was, I was, at, uh, I saw a health practitioner two weeks ago. His in-laws are Christians, kind of Orthodox, all into conspiracies there. And he said, there's nothing I can do to convince them. And he's not a Christian. And he's yeah. appealing to me because he knows I'm a pastor saying, what, what do you, what do you do? And, I, you know, it's very difficult in moments like this. Uh, and all I can say is I can't change you, Van, but I can remain in the Jesus way myself. Yeah, and right. that is my witness in this moment. So maybe just be uh, not only pray for needs, but pray for our witness in this season. Well, and, you know, I think I think that's the way that a prayer should move. Right. We pray for our family. Look, I've got my first AstraZeneca. I wish I could get the second one sooner than what I'm hearing. Uh, I've done this, um, you know, our family's getting vaccinated when our turn comes up. We're doing this. Uh, you know, we're, we're just, we're just trusting those who are in authority over us and doing what we can to get through it. Uh, like you, mm-hmm. right? Like your family mm-hmm. and like the families of the people that are listening. Um, so I do want to pray and I do want to move it from our situation to witness. And let me read a couple verses that inspire this prayer. I'm coming back to Romans 8, Great. folks. Not Amos 8. Come back to Romans <laughs> 8. Okay, so remember that. You get unnerved by Amos 8, you read 9, and then you go to Romans 8. Okay, you with me? And you get to verse 18. Put a 1 in front of it. Okay. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in mm-hmm. us. And then he starts going into the groaning stuff. That's true, Lord. Mm. That's true. Mm. Oh, oh. 
want to get there, want to be there. Lord, how long, mm-hmm. right? And then he gets to a, a text that many of you know really well. He's just come out of this groaning thing. And then he says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love mm-hmm. him. God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And then he goes on. Jonathan, whenever I preach this text, and I've preached it here, yeah. Paul, Paul's dictating this to Tertius, right? But like Paul is, Paul's preaching. He's, he's trying to do what I'm doing tonight, where you're picturing your audience, mm-hmm. right? And he's, he's gotten through the groaning. He's building it up. Creation's groaning. We're groaning. Even the spirit is groaning. And God works together in everything, you know, for those who love him. And then he gets to this passage. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, Mm. yeah, you know how that finishes, who can be against us? And then he gets, and this is, this is rhetorical flourish. Okay. This is great first century preaching. Now he's going to nail it. Okay. So here's what he does. Remember we said COVID's like uh, this this taste of hell separation. Who shall separate us? Mm from the love of Christ. Folks, if COVID has separated any of you from the love of Christ, uh, try again here now. Get get a hold of yourself. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword drill? (laughs) As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says, look, we are giving our life as Jesus gave our life. We are sacrificing ourselves. He says, that's true. But now, here we go. You ready? No. I'm not going to lose my nerve. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, you ready for the list? That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future, nor any powers. Paul's working all these in his mind. The Spirit's helping him. Uh, Paul's not finished yet. Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor, okay, nor height, nor depth. And this is, this is the part I like the most. He says, or anything else. In other words, if I've missed something. Isn't that great? He Catch says, all. nor anything else else put in COVID will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. Lord, we, uh, we believe your word tonight, for it is your word that we trust. Lord, we understand that we are hearing many voices. It is your word we trust. Your word tells us that even in times like this, that nothing, anything else, COVID included, Mm. could separate us from the love of Jesus. And though it's temporary, nothing will be able to separate us from one another because we remain in touch. And someday we will be together again. And someday we will be together for eternity. Mm. So Lord, if there is any group on the planet that should not lose its courage, mm. Lord. If there's any group, may it be us. Yes. 
May we not spread fear. Who cares, Lord, who they are? You are the God of the universe. <laughs> you are the one who created us. Who cares who they are? Lord, by the power of your spirit in us, may we rise up with courage and do what is right, sacrificing where appropriate, trusting in your yes. word, and believing, Lord, that what you have started in us, you will complete. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, forgive me. I'm in church Amen. right now. We're having church. Bless you. Ben, thank you, man. Uh, listen, jump in. Uh, give him a clap in the chat room. And thanks, man. Uh, you know, my conversation with you leading up to this conversation was so healthy and helpful. And uh, I appreciate you lending yourself to us in this season, man. I know you just helped a yeah, bunch thanks, of us. Pal. Thanks for including me. Appreciate it. Just love being back here tonight. Look forward to the day we're all together. Okay. Huh? See you, man. Soon. Bless you. Soon. Bless you. Well, one church CEO and guests, uh, anyone who's been a part of this conversation, uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, we're going to post this, I think, on YouTube. Maybe Matt can uh, jump into the chat room and tell us where it's going to be posted eventually. Uh, so you might want to refer others to it. And of course, to listen, we're going to be around on weekends or if you're part of another local church, you make sure you, you're supporting them through this. Uh, at One Church TO, we want to see as many churches get through this pandemic and on the other side, just thrive, be the salt and light of the world. So in the middle of the pandemic, protect your witness, just as Dr. Van encouraged us. Love you guys. Uh, take care. And aren't you thankful for scripture? Aren't you just so thankful for the way it anchors us and it moves us beyond kind of theories or anything and anchors us to a person, the person of Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, God bless you guys. Have a good night.